going to talk about uh, Paul's shared love this morning, and uh, I can tell there's some love being shared here as we care for each other, so that's, that's a joy and a delight. Let me pray as I get started on my part in this service. Lord, I ask you for your hand to be honest for good. We pray that your name would be really lifted up, that we could hear your heart through Paul's heart this morning as we look at the scriptures with him as the focal figure. And we think of the men that he worked with, in particular, the church as a whole, but really a group of men that he particularly targeted as companions in ministry. We pray that we too could be boldly linked up with other people in ways that are life-changing for the sake of your kingdom. May it come, may your will be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we are going to look this morning at what I call the Jerusalem Relief Project. And, and in a way, here's the problem that I had. I'm going to confess, just sometimes as you prep a sermon, what's it like? Well, here's what it was like on this one. It is full of names and places, and it's not really one of these conducive to, here's the lesson for the morning. Here's who Jesus is. It is just, we went from here, then we went to here, and then we went to here, and we went to here. And I'm going to throw a map up, and you're going to just come away with this map being too small, too hard to see, and me making confusion of it. But what I'm really going to do is invite you to continue to be Bible students and to take advantage, find maps. You can go online. You can actually buy a Bible atlas if you like. There are some good atlases. And it will allow you to get to a, a new level of Bible study that just looking at the what's the blessing I can find today approach won't ever offer. So with that little sort of teacherish, I'm going to dive in and more as a teacher than a preacher this morning. So I ask your forgiveness beforehand. So as we talk about this morning, the, the relief uh, uh, project, we're going to see Paul's effort is to build greater unity between the church as a whole, which is at this stage in history, moving from being primarily a Jewish church with its center in Jerusalem, with leaders like James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James, uh, of Peter, but though Peter comes and goes as he's doing ministry work uh, in different places, but the headquarters is Jerusalem. But in the start of the book of Acts, we saw the calling that Jesus gave. He said, I don't want you to just minister here in Jerusalem and Judea. I want you to go out to Samaria. I want you to go out to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, Paul is out in those uttermost parts of the world as viewed from Jerusalem now. And what he wants to do is make sure that the connections between the uttermost parts of the world are not lost with the center, the hub, back home. And part of the problem, too, is that as we will see in Galatians, we'll see in Romans, we'll see in Corinthians, is that there is opposition to uh, the ministry that Paul is offering. We see that most sharply defined in the book of Galatians. Because Paul is taking on board what happened with Peter when the uh, blanket sheet came down from heaven, and God said, okay, we've now moved to a new time in history, Christian uh, Christian growth is going to come through Gentiles, not just through the Jews. And before that, people would have, to have Jesus as their Savior, have to convert to become Jews, and Jesus was embedded within Judaism. But it became clear in Acts that this was wrong thinking. 
that the Old Testament had promised that Jesus, in Isaiah, for instance, would be the light to the nations. And it was time to now spread to the nations that reality, to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. That's what Gentiles mean. So the non-Jews were starting to actually grow in response to the gospel more quickly than the Jews at this stage. And some of the Jews were actually getting in the way because they didn't believe you could have people worshiping Jesus who had not converted to Judaism first. So that's kind of a middle group people. We call them the Judaizers. We call them the moralists. We call them the... We can call them lots of things, some of which we should never say, but they were not helpful to the gospel. Paul is up against that here, and he's facing sharp opposition wherever he goes. And in that opposition, he keeps presenting Jesus Christ as the basis for salvation. So the Jerusalem Project is to overcome some of the friction that's coming from these Judaizers, some of whom have come to Corinth and created problems because they've tried to take over the leadership of the church in Corinth. So as we track Paul's ministry, he's come through on his various missionary trips. He's come to Corinth after he left uh, Macedonia. He traveled south. We'll show you a map in a minute here. So Macedonia is north of Greece, what they called Achaia. And he then came down to Athens. He preached in Athens didn't stay there. He then went farther over to the west and went to Corinth and spent over a year and a half there. And in Corinth, things were really going strongly, and then some Judaizers came in and tried to co-opt the ministry that Paul had. So that's all context for where we want to go this morning. So Paul has to confront that, and, uh, and part of what he's doing is saying, I'm going to show you that my link with the church in Jerusalem is un." broken. And what I'm going to do is take a group of Jewish con or converts who are not Jewish. They all will have Greek names. That's one of the things I should mention now. Not one of them has a Jewish name. For instance, Shaul, Saul, he switches that name to Paulos. Same person, he just goes to his Greek side and just says, I'm now going to work on the fact that I grew up in a Greek-speaking town in Tarsus. So I went down and I could speak Hebrew. And he was Shaul in Jerusalem. He was Paulos in Tar Tarsus. So with that kind of division in mind, what Paul wants to do is make sure that some of those cultural divisions, some of those historical divisions didn't get in the way of the unity of the gospel. There's one God, one Christ, one gospel. And Paul is going to do a serious project to make sure that is clear and strong and robust. In the same way that I've been to Africa, I've been to Papua New Guinea, I've been to um, uh, Cambodia. And what do I find there? I find people who believe in Jesus Christ through the Word of God, and they respond with the same devotion. To catch the point here, location doesn't make a difference when we're worshiping the living God. And that's why as a missional church... We don't think of people who are in different places as having different gospels. We're all one in Christ. So we're going to talk about the fact that we take that for granted now, but it was a project that Paul worked on to make sure that foundation was laid. Now, that's a long way to say some setup things that I wanted to say. So what is the vision that Paul has as he offers all of this? I'm going to start with a text that 
Um, well, first of all, let's read our overall text, and then I want to start talking about some of his strategy texts as we get ready. Let's go to chapter 20, and our text for the day is 1 through uh, 19, uh, 16, and I'll read it aloud. If you want to follow with me, you're welcome. After the uproar ceased, so this is just after the riot in Ephesus there. Paul wanted to go out and convert everyone, and they said, no, no, Paul, this is probably not a good time to go preaching. So he, he awaits the end of that, uh, that uh, uproar, and he sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said, farewell, and departed from Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Uh, there he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews. Now, the Jews, this, this would be the friction group, the, uh, the, the Judaizers. Uh, so a plot was made against him. And the same language, plot, that would have been used back in Jerusalem when his nephew found out there was a plot by 40 men to kill him. So when that word plot is used, same word. There's a th life-threatening moment here. So uh, there's a plot he discovers made against him by the Jews as he was about to, ready to set sail for Syria. Now, Syria would be, he'd be going to a port city in order to go down and go up to Jerusalem. He'd eventually take these little boats and go to Caesarea, and from Caesarea, he'd go up to Jerusalem. So his plan was to go to Jerusalem. So he decided then to return through Macedonia. Now, this is why I'm going to show you the map, because lots of pieces here you go, I have no idea where Macedonia is, and does it even matter? And the answer is yes, the story makes more sense if you can actually track the landscape. So we'll take a look at the map in a minute here. Um, Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, that's very much a Greek name, by the way, uh, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting for us. All of a sudden, we have us. Guess what? We've just included Luke in the mix. So, but we, Luke included, sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them in Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, I just, when I read this text, I felt a new freedom <laughs> as a preacher, but I talked to Greg, and he dismissed any faulty ideas that I was having formed there. Um, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, and by the way, young man, probably 12 to 16 would be the title for a young man. So not a, not a mature man, but a young man sitting there in the window sill, sitting at the window, sank in a deep sleep. Now, I've seen that happen in sermons before. <laughs> As Paul talked still longer and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. 
You do a major miracle like that, you think, well, well, that was sort of the end of the sermon, wasn't it? And the answer is, no, not really. Come on, just a little disruption. Let's get back with it. So we continue on. And so the daylight comes, daybreak comes, and they have to go catch the ship. Uh, So going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when we, he, met, he met us in Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. And the next day, we touched at Samos. And the next day, after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost, which was a major day in the life of the uh, uh, Jewish heritage. And it was something that he, as a Jew, wanted to make sure he displayed was a part of his own commitment as a, a man who grew up as a Jew. So there it is. Now, what do you do with that for a sermon? That's a question. I could focus on Eutychus, but I don't think that's the real focus point of the text. I mean, as soon as Eutychus is taken care of, he gets right back to his preaching, and then the whole travelogue continues. And I think it's the travelogue that we want to focus on and recognize that Paul had a focus in his life. And that's the question that I think I want to bring to all of us, is do we have a life that lives with clear focus? Or are we mostly focused on what's next for today? When are we going to have our meal? When are we gonna, uh, the football scene is over. Some of you guys are wrestling with that. What are you going to do? You know, it's just a, a life that is largely not quite in focus. F- maybe focused on self-concerns, What we're going to find about Paul is he has a focus outside of himself that is vast and deep and broad, and it is Christ-centered, and it is kingdom-centered. He's really focused on the gospel going forward. His life was so deeply changed, he is just devoted to sharing it with others. And as we talk about this sharing with others, we see that vision perhaps projected most clearly as he writes to one of his disciples who's on this trip, Timothy. And let's, I think we've got that text up there, 2 Timothy uh, 1, uh, 2, 1 through 2. I think we've just got 2 Timothy 2, 2, but let me read it. You then, my ch- child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Okay? So here's what I carry around. I brought it in today. Greg, do you still have your keychain links somewhere? Didn't I give you? I will do that. I'm sorry about that. What I've done over the years is I have done Bible read-throughs with partners. And I will get a chain length of four chain links. And I carry these around. This is my, my, my mail key. I carry these around with me because it reminds me that I am more than myself. I am part of a life of progression. That I came to know Christ and Art Branson took me as a high schooler and said, Oh, Ron, taste and see. The Lord is good. You're, nothing is going to be better in life than to know Jesus. And let's grow in him. And I've got a Bible study. Come and just join in with me. Uh, and um, 
then I ran into Sam Castles, and he's the Bible reading, you know, three times a year. Yeah, I just read through the Bible. How long have you done it? Oh, 50 years. Have you read through the Bible 100, 150 times? Oh, yeah, that'd be right. Well, I better get started. So I launched into my own Bible read-through. So that's another chain link. Do you catch the point here? God gives us people who then are chain links that form for us. And then after that, I went and met David Needham at Multnomah, one of the profs there, that Ed Goodrick, some other profs at Multnomah that just really built up my life, and I was able to go on. And then the next thing I know, I became a teacher. And I just get a tickle. I, I'm going to pick on Kurt back here, one of my students. Uh, I met at a conference yesterday, and he got married since I last saw him. So he's got his wife, and so make sure you say hi to them and make a big fuss so they are totally embarrassed. Uh, but the point is that we had a good time just sharing how God has used us. He was over in, uh, in um, Germany working with high schoolers over there, and he's done ministry in different places in different ways where God has used him to touch lives. And so the chain link goes on. If there's not a chain link connection to the youth at the youth retreat, if there's not a chain link connection through our families, Christianity is over. It will cease and stop in the generation that doesn't pass it along. So that's the punchline for our text this morning. It's going to be a, a lot of stuff. And if you just say, I lost you, Ron. You lost, you know, somewhere on the map, I lost you. But don't worry about it. The whole idea is chain links. And that's the point we want to make with the people that Paul is working with. And his project, his Jerusalem relief project, is to make sure that they're linked to the starting point in Jerusalem where Jesus Christ came presented the gospel, was rejected, was crucified, was buried, and then was raised from the dead and caused everyone to go, oh my goodness, who is this man? And then he ascended to be with the Father and gave the Spirit to send us out into the world. So we're in that part of that extension as we go forward in the book of Acts. And we find that, uh, that the goal that Paul had was to make sure that everyone recognizes that it is not a private faith. This is not private stuff just for me, that I'm here to get a blessing from Jesus and I want eternal life and whatever I have to do to get eternal life and then I'm satisfied, that's enough. It's not enough. The fact is that there must be a vision that is Christ's vision for you, the good works that he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them, in Ephesians 2.10 talking about that. Paul is going to demonstrate his own life, how he is part of a vision and so all Christians then, as they're united in selfless love and practical mutual support, start to grow like crazy. So the Christian church, without seminaries, without training centers, without conferences, without Zoom, without anything, was able to spread and fill the whole Mediterranean basin with faith in the course of 150 years. If we had that kind of evangelism going on right now, I'll tell you what, the world would be stunned. And it was in a culture that was just as upside down as our culture is today. So just, well, that was a different time. No, it was a different time. Read about Nero and you'll realize what a different time. And yet, same time it was. Because Nero was just as corrupt a person as anyone you could read about in the newspapers today. Okay, so all that to say that Christianity was able to penetrate because there was such a vacuum spiritually in that world in that day. And the liveliness of the spiritual life of Paul and the chain link figures that he works with caused the world to change. So that, for instance, last week, the, the uh, 
uh, upheaval in Ephesus. What was it that was being uh, said by, uh, what was his name, Demetrius or Alexander? Demetrius it was. He says, everyone is no longer worshiping. They think that, you know, idols made of hands are not true gods. Yeah, what a surprise that is. This Paul, he's ruining our business. But you catch the point. Christianity was making a difference, so much so that it created a riot. Paul had started three years earlier with 12 men, and after three years, there's a riot. And he says, good, it's time for me to leave. Because Christianity had made its impact and was spreading through all of Turkey, Asia. So now Paul is going to go up and go to the next stage of his ministry. So we pick it up here. He's off to Macedonia. And um, uh, he promised, by the way, it wasn't that he was driven off by the riot, just to make sure we don't miss the point on that. In chapter 19, it says, Paul, after they had had their magic arts and, you know, millions of dollars worth of stuff in our modern currency, had been thrown into fires. They were throwing in all of their devices that were distractions and idol-worshiping features. Whatever our idolatry features are today, they were throwing them in the fires and saying, we're, enough of this, this keeps us from Jesus. Whatever it is that keeps us from Jesus, you might think about putting it in the fire. That's what's going on there. And after these things, it says, Paul resolved, I'm in 1921, Paul resolved in the Spirit. So here's his response to the Spirit of God at work in him to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must see Rome. And having sent to, into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Now, here's a little sneak. Asia means Ephesus. Uh, Asia is Asia Minor, what we now call Turkey. And when he references Asia, he's really speaking mainly of Ephesus, because that was his pivot point in Asia Minor. So then the riot comes, and Paul is saying, okay, I'm going to follow through with my plans. And they send him off, and probably it's a safe thing for him to be gone. So after, after the riot, after the uproar ceased in chapter 20, Paul sent again for them, and he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. So he's getting back to the plan that was mentioned in chapter 19. Now let's go ahead and take a look at the map. You can't see that, can you? I'm sorry. I wish I could just make it huge, and I wish that you could flip your Bibles open. In the old days, they used to have Bibles that would always have the maps, but the days have changed, so I will just tell you what's up there, even if you can't see it, okay? What we do is we start out with um, Asia, which is kind of the pink zone there in the middle. So Paul starts in Antioch. So at the right-hand side, you see the red line, that's Paul getting to Ephesus, and he then is spending time in Ephesus for virtually three years. So there's a, that's a long stay there. It's not as if that's a quick trip. So where you get over to what is the Aegean Sea, if you can see that, the ocean that's just up in the left-hand corner under map 89, uh, that area is the Aegean Sea. So that separates Greece from Turkey today. The Isle of Rhodes is there on the coast of Turkey across the way, across the Aegean Sea, you get to Corinth, you get to Athens. Up above Athens, just where it curls around, and you can see the red lines curl around, you have Macedonia. And Macedonia is where you have, first of all, Philippi, where we were in the book of Acts earlier, 
And then Paul, remember the, the jailer and the earthquake at night and the conversions there, Lydia, all that's going on there in Macedonia. But there's opposition to Paul's ministry, and they leave and say, okay, we've got the gospel planted here. Let's move over a few miles, about 20 miles. They go to Thessalonica. Now it would be Thessaloniki. Thessalonica, which is again up there in that curl around northern district. So there he ministers for a period of time. But the people who are opposed to him, the Judaizers, say, you are teaching a gospel that doesn't call for people to be circumcised. The men have got to be circumcised or they're not believers in Jesus. And he goes, where did you get that from? It's not from God. It's not from the Holy Spirit. And that's where some of the conflict is coming from. So they oppose Paul. And Paul says, okay, I'm going to leave some people here and I'm going to go to the next town. He goes about another 25, 30 miles and he comes to Berea. And there the Bereans are very responsive, and they start to respond. They looked at the scriptures, listened to Paul, looked at the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying is in the scriptures, and they said, look at this. They started to respond, and then, of course, opposition came from, what was the last town? Thessalonica. So Paul is getting chased by these opponents wherever he goes. And so what they do is he leaves Timothy, he leaves some of his key leaders because they don't draw the ire of these Jewish opponents. It's Paul that has irritated them. So Paul goes south down to Athens by himself. This is all what we've looked at before. So you can kind of see the line goes down to the yellow zone. That's now Achaia or Greece. So when you read in the Bible, Achaia, it means Greece. So he's there in Athens for a brief time. And then he goes across, straight across to the left from Athens to Corinth, where he's able to have a very significant ministry for a year and a half. And that's where the letter to the Corinthians is written. Now, what's interesting is on this map, and it's too minuscule for you to see, but it says that when he is in Thessalonica or Berea, we're not sure, he writes 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was written from Ephesus. So at the start of the trip, he's in Ephesus. He writes the first letter to the Corinthians. And it's clear that the first letter to the Corinthians indicates that there have been some divisions. And he says, I want to write to you about your divisions. Let's solve this problem. Let's, and then he gets to passages like, you're all worried about gifts and who has what gifts. And I'll tell you what, how about, let me give you what is going to become chapter 13, verse 13. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. You guys can have all the gifts you want, but if you're not living with love, you're missing it. So all of that's to the Corinthians who are still struggling with stability in their church development. So he writes that, and that's why he's going to go up and make his trip. And what we know from behind the scenes is that Paul goes up because he's sent, and here's, this is complicated stuff, and I'm going, oh, how do I present this without just becoming a teacher with a pointer and a lecturer. I'm just going to go ahead and say there's a lot of reading that you can do here. And some of this stuff, one of the teachers that we had at uh, Trinity Seminary where I went to study, uh, Murray Harris, says, you know, this little section here has more content in it that can confuse us, that it's hard to unpack it. So what I'm going to do is just tell you there's more going on here than the text shows. What Paul has done here is he is 
recognized the problem in Corinth is significant. So he made a quick trip across the Aegean Sea that's not recorded in the book of Acts. We find it in a commentary, his commentary in his writing to the Corinthians. He makes a quick trip over there to solve some problems. Someone there, this is after he's written 1 Corinthians, someone there reacts to him or to his representative in a way that is absolutely ungodly, wrong. Now, we're reading between the lines here to get this. But that's who is being, he said, go ahead and... In the second letter to the Corinthians, he said, forgive this man, because apparently the man was confronted by the Corinthian church and repented. So Paul is saying, no, that's fine. It's, it's fine with me if it's fine with the church. So all of that's to say that he had a problem there, and he, what, he was going to go back to Corinth for the trip that we're looking at right here, but he wasn't sure whether he would be welcome. So the second letter to the Corinthians, he writes from... Macedonia, when he's up on that part of the trip. And he's basically saying, you know, I said that I was going to come again, but I wasn't sure I dared come because my last visit with you was so unpleasant. So I sent Titus ahead with a letter to make sure everything was okay and that you would be willing to receive me. And so he agreed with Titus to say, okay, I'm going to make this trip. You come back and meet me in Troas. Where is Troas? Well, the answer is it's in Asia, but as you see that kind of prong up in Asia, Ephesus is kind of, if you could spot it, down towards the bottom part of the pink zone of Asia. As you go up, there's a kind of a, a place that curls around out from the top of Asia. That's where Troas is located, up in that area there. And so Paul is going to wait there for Titus to come back with a report on how his trip and his letter handing the letter to the Corinthians went. It turns out Titus isn't there. So Paul doesn't wait any longer. He says, I'm going to start my way to Macedonia. That's alternative two, to go probably to, I don't know, Philippi or Thessalonica. We're not sure. He just says to Macedonia. And he waits there. And that's where he writes the letter to the, the second letter to the Corinthians. And he, as he's waiting there, it turns out Titus shows up. And that's in 2 Corinthians. And it says, well, Titus came and just told me that everything was fine. Everything is settled. Whew, so I'm on my way. And that's when he finishes the trip. Okay. Now, that is just in three verses in what we've read here today. So I'm just going, oh, there's so much here. What do I do with this? Because in a way, part of a role of being a teacher is to say, recognize that all of the biblical materials do tie together. And to the degree that you want to be a good Bible student, you don't need to know all this stuff. You can read the texts as they stand. But all of a sudden, you discover there's an epic story going on here. It's like a novel. that is, it's, it's a true story. It's a history. And the deeper you go into it, the more you discover the motives and the energy that are all involved in this process. So Paul then goes on down into uh, Greece, that is to say, he goes back to Corinth, and he spends his time there, and there's a plot against him, and he then, instead of sailing across as he's done before on the boat, someone at the harbor in Sincrea is probably there to do the same thing the 40 guys were going to do back in Jerusalem. We're going to kill him on the dockyard or whatever they're going to do. And so he gets wind of this plot, and instead he hikes all the way back up, which, by the way, is a couple hundred miles. This guy is sturdy, 
Let's just say that. They, he didn't have a Jeep. He didn't have a track. He was hiking the whole way or taking boats. It's boats and hiking. Hundreds of miles. And all of this takes place over the course of not just weeks, but months. So this whole process compressed into three or four verses is an epic experience. Okay? So you're saying, Ron, where are you going with this? Let's go back to where I'm trying to go. The Jerusalem Relief Project. What's he doing as he's doing all of these travels? Let's move on to the next text that we have here, Romans 15, 25 through 27. The box, when we get down to uh, his place there as he's in Corinth, is where he writes the letter to the Corinthians, or to the Romans. So it's from, Ro from that situation of having arrived there, being welcomed, and then he says, now let me go ahead and write to the Romans and tell them what's coming next. So let me just read from Romans 15, which is the end of Romans. He says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem. Here's the Jerusalem Relief Project to bring aid to the saints. For Macedonia, where's that? Up in the north area, remember? Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi up there in the top part of that trek. Those are the really faithful, lovely people. Poor as church mice, but they are lovely and faithful, and they have responded to the gospel in a big way. So he says, okay, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia. So he's writing from Achaia, that is from Corinth. Have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Oh, there's a little bit of logic for you. The church in Jerusalem started and sent out missionaries, and that's the birthing point of Christianity. And now they are struggling financially, they are poor people. A lot of them have lost their business. Some had given up their businesses. Remember back in the days of the beginning of Acts? They sold their, gave away everything. And that meant all of a sudden their financial prospects shrank. They thought the Lord was going to return next week. Well, the Lord says, go ahead and give your stuff away. Share in common all these things. But that meant that a lot of businesses were gone. They were hurting financially. And Paul says, and we need to help them. Let's go ahead and send some money in their direction. So they're going to bring bags of money. In those days, it would be coins. And Paul is saying, here's our plan. We're going to go ahead and go and help them out. So he's writing this from Corinth, and he's talking about the churches that he's talked to. So, so as he's made this trip, what's he actually doing? He's telling them, guys, have you got your offering ready that we're going to take with us? And so his plan was now that he has people from each one of these towns carrying their bags of money, they're going to go to Jerusalem. And that's when the word is out, no, someone's plotting to catch you at the dock in Sancria. And so they then hike back up and go through the other towns. So with that in mind, let's go to the next text. So 1 Corinthians, it's the same collection. So he's talking to the Corinthians. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches, so this is 1 Corinthians 16 at the end of 1 Corinthians, I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Now, oh my goodness, where's Galatia? 
Galatia is the middle of Turkey. It's the big region. It would be like what we would call the Northwest. So Galatia is a broad region that included where Paul was raised, Tarsus. It includes um, Derby, Lystra, where Paul was stoned. They thought he'd killed him. He got up and walked away. The letter to the Galatians is written to that region, Lystra, Derby, that whole area. So that's one of the areas that he is called upon to send gifts uh, to help out the people in Jerusalem. So picking it up again. Uh, As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up that he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Paul is not going to touch the money, lest anyone think that he is trying to do fundraising for his retirement. He says, no, no, you guys pick your best people and you send them with me. And he says, if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So I will be the leader, but I won't touch the money. Did you catch that? Do you start to catch the care of Paul's life and ministry? This is a guy with a focus. He's got a vision, and he knows how to do it with care and to be above reproach. Let's read another one of these uh, Jerusalem Project elements here. I'm just going to walk away and say we never knew about the Jerusalem Project. You may have, but I'm going to emphasize it. For 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, 1 through 15, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So that's, again, we know where Macedonia is. I keep beating that drum. Should we go back to the map again? Have you got where Macedonia is? Up to the north, where a curl around the north end of the Aegean Sea. See that? The big curl at the top there. That's Macedonia up there. Achaia is south where Athens is. So even today, you've got the nation of Macedonia. They were fighting over getting their nation renamed Macedonia. That's where Philip of Macedon, who is the father of Alexander the Great, came from, who conquered the world. So in its day, it was a dominant area of the world. But at this stage in history, there are poor people up there. So going back to the text here. Uh, Among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth, a wealth of generosity on their part. So did you catch those words that kind of designate where they were at? Were they rich? No, they were severely afflicted with lack of money. Yet their abundance of joy, well, that's an internal quality. In their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, they've overflowed with a wealth of generosity. They have given, and their sacks of drachma or denarii or whatever they've got, their silver coins and copper coins and whatever they have, they are full to bursting. Now, I'm coming to you, Corinthians. For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means. Do you see how the heart of God was present in them? They're not self-concerned. They were, yeah, we need to help the people in Jerusalem. We will do that. Well beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but here's their impulse. This is the thinking of the people there in Macedonia. They gave themselves first to the Lord 
and then by the will of God to us. Did you catch the order there? A church that is healthy will always say, Lord, what should we do? What should our family do? What can I do? Oh, Lord, give ourselves away to others. That's what we will do. So there it is. Um, so, the, so all of that is context for the traveling. So Paul's making this trip basically as a fundraiser and to collect the money, and then he's going to sail back with the, with the people that are going to carry the money to Jerusalem and deliver it. And he does do that. That's coming up ahead. In fact, what we'll find is that Paul will be arrested in Jerusalem as, just after they've delivered the money. And that is going to ultimately cost him his life. So Paul, when he gets imprisoned in Jerusalem, is going to be sent to Rome, and Book of Acts ends with him in Rome in prison, and eventually Nero is going to take his life. Okay? All of this starts with this, this wonderful Jerusalem relief project. And Paul, when he's told later on, as you'll see, I'm getting ahead in the book of Acts here, they say, don't go, we have messages from God that you're going to be arrested. He says, I don't care. He said, this is so important, I will die for it. Okay, that is Paul's vision. So all of that to say, Frost, did you lose track of the fact that you're supposed to be in chapter 20 of Acts? So let's go back there. And we're running out of time, so we'll have to chase through this quickly. So let's go ahead back to the list of names here. And I want to make the point that Paul's focus is that he values Christ and others more than himself. And so we've got the chain links, and eight men join him in his travels. This is key. He sends them forward. He sends them to Troas. He catches up with them, and then they get up to Macedonia, and he waits for Titus. Titus meets with him, and he goes down to Corinth. And then from Corinth, he collects the money there from Corinth, and they were going to sail, but, oh, let's go back up and travel around again, visit everyone one more time. But by now, his ambition, which is to get to uh, Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost, his clock is running out of time. So he's now in a rush. So as he rushes forward, he has his eight men with him, and as he goes forward, we find the three main segments are starting to form up. The three se main segments of this brief passage are Asia, Ephesus, that's where he starts, to Troas, to Corinth by way of Macedonia, a dangerous plot in, in uh, Corinth, and an overland, re overland return. Then Paul's return is back to Troas in Asia where he does an overnight of teaching the miracle with Eutychus, and then he travels past Ephesus to Miletus, and uh, that sets up his trip, the boat trip, then to Jerusalem. Okay, that's the end of the passage. So that's, in a nutshell, what he does there. But we find that this group of guys needs some notice. And so as he's working with these people, let's pick up Luke. Who is Luke? He's the unassertive author that we meet as, as we, and the first time we find him is mentioned in chapter 16, verse 10, and it's in Troas. We know where Troas is by now? On the Aegean Sea, on the Turkish, that is the Asian side. He meets with Luke there. He's a physician, and Luke will be close to Paul from that time onward. He travels with him, gets into shipwrecks with him. He becomes his companion, along with people like Timothy and others. Luke is the we, okay? So we have Luke. And by the way, Luke is not a Jewish name. He is a Greek. So this is part of the ministry to the Greeks that Paul has had. And the second uh, figure that we have here is Sopater from Berea. That's in Macedonia. We also have Aristarchus and Secundus. 
from Thessalonica, which is part of Macedonia. And they're from the town just down the street. So what we've got here is Sopater, Aristarchus, Secundus, three men coming from Macedonia with their resources from two towns, probably Philippi included, because when Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, thank you for your support. You've been so generous to me. So basically, these are open-hearted and supportive communities financially. And so those are uh, three of the men. And then we get Gaius, and we find out that Gaius is mentioned in one of the letters as living in Corinth, but he's from Derby, as we find in the text here. And Derby is right next to Lystra. So that's the response of the people in Galatia, because who else is from uh, Galatia? Timothy. So Timothy was converted by Paul and then taken with him as a companion. So you see the chain link issues? Paul is setting up chain links with these guys. And what we want to do is just spend more time talking about some of those connections to say that's his big strategy. As he is going and connecting with people, he says, I'm going to work with men who are trustworthy and sent by their churches to work with me. And some of these guys will stay with Paul for the rest of their lives probably to the time of their deaths. So how do we know that? Let's pick it up. I'm going to keep saying, you keep saying inside bronze, stay in Acts. Well, I will. What I'm going to do is go to Acts 21. <laughs> Sneak ahead here. Moreover, Acts 21, 28 through 29. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled his holy place. Now, who's, right, who's saying this? The opponents of Paul, the Judaizers. This is when Paul has delivered the gift. It's a sermon yet to come, and Greg is going to preach it. And he said, remember, Ron, what he was talking about? Well, here we finally reached the point. I'm guessing ahead here. But here's the sneaking ahead here. The reason I mention this is because, for they had previously seen Trophimus, who was called back in our text from Asia. But guess what? It says Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Now, that's an interesting supposition because there's a balustrade wall that has a signs on it. We even have the signs today. You can go to the Israel Museum and see one of these signs, and there in the signs it says, any Gentile that goes beyond this boundary takes his life in his own hands. We're going to kill him. And so Trophimus, who is not a Jew, is so close to Paul, the chain link issues, they cannot imagine Paul would go anywhere without Trophimus and also Tychicus. And, you know, they are just buddies. And so Paul is there fulfilling a vow, and he's gone past that wall because he's a Jew. He can go into this, this area that's not for the Gentile area than the Jewish area. He's beyond the Gentile area in the Jewish area, beyond the wall. Paul will talk about the wall in Ephesians. The wall is now broken down in Christ, he says, but that's another sermon. So he's in there. He gets arrested because of Trophimus. Do you catch the connection? That will lead to his death, ultimately, his connection with Trophimus, and he doesn't care. So that's a, that's a bit piece. Let's go on to Ephesus, to Ephesians chapter 6, 21 where we're going to find that Tychicus is the carrier of the letter that we call the letter to the Ephesians. 
so that each of you may also know how I'm doing and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful member, minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose. Now, Paul is now in Rome and in jail, and who's there with him to collect the letter and carry it to Ephesus? And in fact, we believe this is a circular letter that actually ends up in Ephesus, but it's going to be called in another place the letter from the Laodiceans. That is to say, it's a circular letter that's being transported among the various churches that we see in the book of Revelation, the churches of Asia. Paul has sent Tychicus ahead with that letter and another letter. Let's take a look at Colossians 4, 7 through 9. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. But this is to the Colossians. We just read it in Ephesians, the same thing. He is my, a beloved brother and faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord, and I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. That is, he's from Colossae. And they will tell you everything that has taken place here. And some of you are going, Onesimus, we know him. Well, maybe you aren't saying that, but you should, because guess what the letter to Philemon is all about? It's about Onesimus, who is a runaway slave, who comes and ends up being maybe imprisoned with Paul. We don't know for sure. He's converted by Paul. And, you know, if you're a slave, a runaway slave, anyone that takes you in is subject to death penalty. So, They've got to solve this problem. Paul says, go back to your boss. Go back to your guy in Colossae, to Philemon, and get this thing worked out. So Onesimus goes back with Tychicus. And Tychicus drops off this one letter that is, we call the letter to the Ephesians. And then he goes on to, Col goes on to Colossae and delivers the letter to Philemon. So we've got three letters. Tychicus, Tychicus is responsible for carrying these three letters from Paul, who's in prison in Rome. And all these things start to tie together. But to catch the point here, this is much farther down the line. And who is Paul using as his chief delegates? Now that he's imprisoned, after multiple years, who is he depending on for transporting letters and sending messages to the money carriers? to the guys from Macedonia and from Asia who were his partners in life and ministry. Those are chain-link relationships. And believe me, we need some chain-link relationships here in the church. Did you catch that? To take Christianity far more seriously, to have a vision much bigger than we tend to have, that's in what's in it for me, and I want my free ticket to heaven, and everything's fine. No, it's much bigger than that. So, Basically, let's go on to, to the part that I've ignored here. Eutychus raised from the dead. So we have them on their way. Uh, they're coming back. They're on their way to Jerusalem with their money sacks in hand. And for the first day of the week, we went and were gathered together to break bread. The long sermon, Eutychus falls asleep. And Paul raises up and heals him. And there are healings. There are resurrection moments in the Bible. We have Peter does this in in um, Joppa, we find different kinds of moments here that really display the fact that God is at work in these people. They're not asking for chain-link connections without the certainty that God is involved. And Paul demonstrates God's hand in his life. When he takes this lad that's probably dead, grabs him, embraces him, and the kid comes back to life. Good. Everyone goes, oh, 
Let's get back to the sermon. You catch that? Now, here's the picture I want to give you of Paul. Paul is not fascinated with miracles. He's fascinated with knowing Christ and sharing the message of Christ. Catch that? We tend to be, fa- oh, wow, it's a miracle. I can't believe it. I met, I met a Eutychus. He's an old man now. He's still alive. Well, that's fine. That was a nice thing. But the reality is the message of getting to the Jerusalem Relief Project was far bigger and far more important. And Paul wanted to keep teaching them about some of the basics they still didn't have under their belt. So he teaches those things to him, and then we find out that going ahead to the ship, they set sail to this place, to this place, to this place. If you could get that map blown up, you can see where all these places are. But the big surprise is that he goes to Miletus, where the next sermon is going to be located, one of the great texts of the Bible, by the way, so I wish I, wish I had been assigned it. But anyway, why does he not go to Ephesus? Because he goes to the port city that's just next to Ephesus, and he doesn't go in to visit his friends, where he had been for about three years. You know why? He's got so many deep relationships, I'm guessing, so many deep relationships there. He knows he cannot get in and get out in any decent period of time, and he has to get to Jerusalem. So he's just heartbroken, but he doesn't get to say hi to his friends. This is the most devoted, devoted friendship guy in the world. And it breaks his heart, but he goes on. Okay, so then with that, we see that the section ends, our travelogue ends. And so what do we learn from this? What do we take away from the passage this morning? Well, there's a lot to be said here. And I think one of the things is the idea of, um, the idea of giving. Did you catch that embedded there? You know, if you're receiving spiritual benefits, then give in return for those spiritual benefits. That's part of the lessons that we picked up here today. It's a huge lesson. And so Paul really wants to anchor that home. Don't take for granted the fact that you've been resourced by people who brought the gospel to you. He's also offering bold modeling and full devotion. Paul's own life was at stake. And in the end, his life is lost for the sake of this mission. When he goes to Jerusalem, he's arrested and he's imprisoned, and that ultimately leads to his death at the hands of Nero, okay? So it's serious business. And um, watch, watch what I do by coming along with me. That's the big lesson. He's got a group of guys that go out and change the world after Paul is gone, and the world is never the same. Isn't that great? So what's it going to be like here in another 10 years? What's Harvest going to be doing? in terms of projects that can be done, the world being changed, and chain links being formed. I'll get you your chain links. I'm sorry, I forgot to give those to you. And the fact is, the reason I give chain links is because I say, do a Bible read-through, it's life-changing stuff, and then do it with someone else, and do it with someone else, and do it with someone else, and get them to do it with others, who will do it with others, who will do it with others. That's just read. that's the raw material of Bible reading. The Spirit working and giving us projects. That's another story. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, so much for the freedom we have to explore your word, to come to your word, and to entrust ourselves to you. Thank you for the communion that we get to celebrate now as we think of your shed blood, Jesus, as you too were sacrificed for the sake of the message that you taught, and yet in your sacrifice, you solved the problem of death and uh, and uh, what a joy it is to be able to come to you in light of your death, burial, and resurrection and your ascension. We celebrate that this morning, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.